Tonight is All Saints when we remember the many, many Christians over the years who have followed God's call. And so I want to talk tonight about a part of following God's call that does not always get talked about, but it needs to be. When God calls a person like you or like me, he gives each one of us a purpose. It's a sense of what you'll hear people say, a call. And one of the amazing things about having some clarity around our God-given purpose is that it takes our daily life, which it's daily. <laughs> it's routine by definition. And so it gives that life which otherwise could become wearying or humdrum, this sense of adventure. Like, hey, I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> See, when I start my day, I, I have this confidence that somewhere today I'm going to meet with people that God would want me to meet. If I know who they are ahead of time, I pray for that meeting. Like, Lord, how can I be of help to this person? What, what can I bring this person? So all of a sudden, it's not just checking off an appointment. It's like there's this adventure, like, wow, God, what could be going on here? And so amid all the emails and the other things that I do in my day, and I know your own day has its own things, uh, there's that beautiful gift of purpose. But what is not talked about as much is that along with the purpose comes the pain. See, God gives you and me a purpose, but there is also a pain that comes along with fulfilling that purpose. There's always a call and a cost to that call. There's a way that we are sent and a way that we suffer in the sending. Now we see this tonight in our scripture from Acts. Saul is this religious zealot. He's, he's the blasphemer police, you know. And he's hunting down and arresting any Jewish person who is daring to blaspheme God by saying that Jesus, this carpenter from Nazareth who just died, shamefully I might add, is the Messiah. So those people are wrecking his Jewish faith and so he's going after them. But right before tonight's reading, Jesus appears to him in blinding light. And Saul, as he's known, literally falls off his horse. And he hears the voice, he sees the light, but now he can't see. He's been blinded by the light. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, the Bible says. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. And then there's this amazing moment that a believer in Damascus named Ananias, God speaks to Ananias in a vision and says, Ananias, yes, Lord, I want you to go over to such and such a house. I want you to find Saul and I want you to pray for him because I just gave him a vision that a person named Ananias would do exactly that. Okay? <laughs> and uh, he's praying right now. Time for you to go. And Ananias thinks this is the worst idea God has ever had. <laughs> He's like, okay, this is the person who came here to arrest people like me. 
and I'm supposed to just like walk in and hand myself over to him? Like I might as well like bring my own chains and save him the time. But verse 15, the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Now notice, Saul gives, uh, God gives Saul an amazing purpose. I've chosen him to take my message to the Gentiles. This is Mr. Jewish Jew guy. I mean, he is very committed to his faith. But no, you're going you're gonna to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. That's an amazing mission, amazing purpose. But notice, along with that purpose, there's a pain. I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. I think you could take any follower of God for whom we have enough information, and you will see this same pattern. For example, a young unmarried woman named Mary is given this huge purpose. You're going to conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. And yet, she also gets this prophetic word, a sword will pierce your own soul also. There's a cost to this call. So tonight, I want to ask you some very important questions for your life, about your life. Do you have any sense of God's purpose for you, what that may be? How would you answer that? And then, do you know what suffering God has appointed for you? Some of you are like, yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm right there. Well, then how are you dealing with that? As I've discovered over the years, maybe you have too, there are better and worse ways that we can deal with our appointed suffering. There are many places where it is really easy for us to misstep. So tonight, I just want to try to lay out as clearly as I can what you and I can do with this suffering that God appoints, this pain that comes along with our purpose. And I'm so glad the bulletins didn't show up because I sent this brilliant outline for the message, which was on the sermon notes page. And then by Wednesday, I threw it all out. So So I I have three things I want to say here. And to help you remember them, they begin with A-D-D, A-D-D. So to understand the first point, the A, we need to get clear that all suffering, not all suffering is appointed by God, clearly. There's so much suffering we can remove and relieve and avoid, and we should. Suffering itself is not good. Some Christians in the Middle Ages give you that impression if you read about them. They wear shirts next to their skin that are made out of bristly animal hair so that all day long you have this constant uncomfortable irritation. And then they would take ropes and knot in the ropes and then whack themselves on the back Uh, no, 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 no. There's no value in taking on a suffering that you and I can avoid with a clear conscience, right? Jesus teaches, for example, when you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. He doesn't say, stay there and just keep getting heaped on. 
He's like, feet, do your duty. Like, get out of there. It's also why Paul, one time, when he's about to get beaten, without a trial, which is illegal, he asks the person who's doing the tying up and ready to go after him, hey, is this legal to do this to a Roman citizen? He, he plays his legal rights to get out of a beating he should not have gotten. So, uh, now we should note, though, five other times, he can't get out of it because that's part of the suffering that's appointed for him. But when he can avoid suffering, he does. So how would you and I go about distinguishing between the suffering that we should and could avoid and the suffering that God has appointed? I thought about that, and I think my best pastoral suggestion is to ask. That's my A, ask. And what I mean by that is ask God to take the suffering away and see what he says. See what he says. Paul talks about one time about what he calls a thorn sticking in my side. It's painful. It's personal. We don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it was an eye disease that just wouldn't heal. Maybe it was people hunting him down, which he had most of his adult life. Maybe it was other Christians betraying him. But Paul tells us, Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. He's asking God to get rid of that suffering. But God said to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So for Paul, this particular thorn that he's talking about here, whatever it is, was part of a suffering that God appoints for him. Now suffering itself, of course, is not good. But sometimes God appoints it for a greater good, the greater good. In Paul's case, that word that he just gave Paul there, my grace is enough for you, has carried me and millions of Christians through crisis and difficulty and heartache, and it has gotten them going day by day by day, and they have found it's true. When I'm weak, God has to be strong, and he is. Now, not only does Paul ask for his suffering to be removed, so does Jesus. He's under dark olive trees, and he's, he's on his face, and he's saying, Father, if you're willing, take this cup of suffering from me. He wants it gone. He prays so hard that it says he sweated until these drops of sweat fell to the ground. Now, earlier, the father had protected him from a mob that wanted to push him off a cliff. And he just walked right through and walked away. It's divine protection. But here, Jesus learns in his prayer and asking, asking, asking that this suffering is actually appointed. Now what would have happened if Jesus had avoided this suffering that God did appoint? Well, I'll tell you what you and I would have no freedom at all from our sins or chance of that. We would have no eternal life. It was for the greatest of all goods. So sometimes that's the case. And we learn whether this particular suffering that we're facing is appointed by God when we ask. That's how we learn the answer. God, take it away. So what is a suffering in your life right now? 
Have you asked God to take it away? Or have you not asked thinking, well, that's just life, or probably he wouldn't. Maybe you've had disappointments in prayer in your life, and so you haven't really asked clearly about this. Are you willing to ask three times? If you get a no, are you going to keep asking? Here's what I predict will happen if you ask. Either God's going to say, yes, I'm taking this away. There's hope ahead. Or he's going to give you a word like he gave Paul that gives you the grace to bear it in a way that you do not currently have. Either way, you win. So ask. Uh, Okay, let's move to the second point, starting with D. Once you know the suffering that is appointed for you, don't let anyone pull you away from that. Don't let anyone pull you away from that. Caring friends will try. Christians will try. They'll be well-meaning. They'll want to help you out. Don't let them. Matthew 16, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary, necessary, for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day be raised from the dead. And so, as you heard tonight in the gospel, Jesus' number one follower and close friend thinks, is anybody else going to call him out for that? Because if no one else is, I'm going to. That cannot, that's crazy talk. And he says to him, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. What are you thinking? I've wondered, I think that's a summary of Peter's thing. I wondered how he tried to talk Jesus out of it. I'm guessing he probably appealed to his leadership and said, Jesus, like, what are you saying? You're demoralizing people, you. People will follow you if you promise your best life now, and now you're talking about your worst death now. Like, come on, lead. Or maybe Jesus appeals to Peter's compassion. Did you see the face on that blind guy that you just healed? And, and now you're talking about that being taken away? What, what is with you? Like, people need you. But whatever Peter said to him, Jesus does not say, thank you so much, Peter, for thinking of me. That means a lot. Here's what he says. Get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap. Now, why? Why is he so strong? Because he knows, Peter, you're trying to pull me away from what the God has appointed for me in my life, which means you're really trying to pull me away from God. Don't do that. Saul, same thing happens. You heard it in the first reading, or second reading tonight. We, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's been a church planner for like 20 years. And they find these local believers and stay with them a week. And these believe, they're on their way to, to Jerusalem. And these believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Then several days later, this guy named Agabus, known for having a prophetic gift, takes Paul's rope, a belt, which is like this one, made out of rope, and ties up his own hands like this and his feet and whatever and says, so says the Lord. This is what the Holy Spirit says. The man who owns this belt will be tied up just like this by the Jewish leaders in, in Jerusalem. 
And so all the Christians there are going, Paul, don't go. We plead with you, don't go. And yet, how does Paul respond? Even though there have been two clear words through the Holy Spirit by multitude believers saying, you know, you're in trouble if you go. Well, first of all, he doesn't disagree with it. He knows it's true. In his own words, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. They're just confirming what he's already clear on. But why doesn't he listen and just be safe and avoid all that? Because here's what else Paul knows. Compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. He knows this, is the, this trip is the Spirit's idea. This is not my idea. I would happily avoid it. But going there, finishing the trip, is the only way Paul can fulfill his purpose. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, this task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, what would have happened if Paul's Christian friends, who care about him, had swayed him? Paul would have failed his God-given purpose because it's in Jerusalem that everything starts for him to go speak to Gentiles and kings. How do you get an audience with the highest Roman officials? You can't just walk in and say, hi, I'm here. But here's one way you can get it. When you are arrested and put on trial and they're at the hearing. Not only that, Paul gets an all-expense-paid trip to Rome to do it. <laughs> on a prisoner ship. <laughs> Have you ever had someone who well-meaning like Peter was with Jesus, like those Christians were with Paul, who tried to pull you away from a suffering that God had appointed in your life. I have. It can be very confusing, I gotta say. What's tricky is that no one ever says to you, I wanna pull you away from God's appointed purpose for your life. They don't say that. It, it, it comes through because they care and they're just trying to help you. And in my life, people have said things like, but this other thing over here would be a much more solid career. Well, that was true, but that was terrible for me. Or you probably won't find a position doing what I just said I felt called to do. That might have been true too. Or your gifts are too big to do something like that, which is appealing to my pride, right? Which they weren't really trying to do, but there, you, there it was. Or why do you have to make such a big deal about women's ordination? If you would just kind of like go soft on that, you'd have so many more options. Things like that. Now, what they said was well-meaning. And you know what? It was wrong for me. It would have pulled me away from the purpose of God for my life. So don't let people pull you away from what God has given you to do. All right, well, the third and final point, ADD, is don't compare your appointed suffering with somebody else's. <laughs> I have a friend who ran cross-country at Illinois State, and he told me they ran their, their tournaments or races on a golf course. And so what would happen, he said, is that the race officials would go out 
before the race, go ahead of the runners, and they would mark out the course that you were to run on the, court, on the golf course. And so like a certain color flag meant you turn to the right, and another color flag meant straight ahead, and a third color flag meant turn left, and it was very clear the course that was set for you. And he said, if you didn't want to get disqualified, you ran that course. He didn't go, man, I'm not feeling it today. I think I'm going to cut off a little bit of this. <laughs> you know? But what so happens often is this. You and I are out running our race, and we're hitting our own heartbreak hill. And we look at somebody else, and we go, oh, my gosh, they have it so easy. <laughs> Like, if I could run their race, it would be no problem. If I had their health, if I had their money, if I had their advantages, if I had their opportunity, if I had their family or whatever it is, that'd be no problem. Why am I doing the marathon and they're doing the 5K? Well, who is that person that you've been looking at and thinking that? It is natural to think this way. It just comes to us so easily. And, and Peter does it. Jesus gives Peter his purpose very clearly. He says it to him three times. Feed my sheep. Meaning, teach, lead, take care of my followers. Okay. But with that purpose comes this pain. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And it says very clearly in, in the Bible, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. He wasn't saying stretch out your hands and be taken this way. He was saying stretch out your hands and take it this way. And then Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, hearing all this, what does Peter do? Does he go, Lord, of course, nothing is too much to bear for you. But no, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, probably John, and asked, Lord, what about him? <laughs> Why do I get such a hard assignment? And you said nothing. And notice what Jesus says. If I want him to remain alive until I come, what is that to you? Notice that when Peter asks, like you and I ask, what about this other person? Jesus does not answer that question. He will not answer our envious questions either, except with his question, what is that to you? Which is a very probing question. Are we asking because we're sincerely concerned about this person? Are we asking because we hope that they can have it as light as possible? Are we asking for what he knows we're asking? Why us? Why me? Why not them? And then Jesus says to Peter, he says to you, he says to me, those two words that have rung in the ears of every person who's been called a saint, follow me. 